We have a question from Steve on time being fundamental. And he wants to remind you that uh, you have mentioned uh, time being fundamental answers in other videos in the past. So bear these in your, in your mind when you formulate your answer. Um, he says he has a question in relation to some of the material from Seth Speaks. Seth suggests that time and space are illusions and both the past and future coexist with the present in what Seth refers to as spacious present. Therefore, a person's incarnation in different time periods are actually lived simultaneously as opposed to consecutively. I know that Tom has referred to time being fundamental before, and logically, it is hard to understand how we can grow up without time existing as part of our physical materiality, PMR, rule set. I'm interested to get Tom and others' perspectives on this, and the most important part of the question, whether time ceases to be fundamental when our attention is focused outside of this PMR. Time is fundamental. Um, Seth was misunderstood. And all of these, the past, the future, and the present, do not all happen simultaneously. That doesn't make any sense. It's illogical. That's why it's so hard to understand, because it is not logical. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't compute. And we know learning requires time, because there was the time before you learned, and then there's the time after you learned, and you're different. Okay, so whenever we have growth, it requires time. If we have evolution, it requires time. If anybody can learn anything, there must be time. Um, you don't uh, have, you know, you don't have change without time. Change means time. You were this way, and now you're that way, or this was that th that way, and now it's this way. That requires time. The before and after state basically define time. Now, every virtual reality can have its own clock. So time being universal doesn't, I mean, time being fundamental doesn't mean that it's universal, the same time universal. Every virtual reality can have its own clock. So we have our clock here in this virtual reality. It's the outer time loop in the simulation. And that's fundamental. Things move forward in time. So when they do the um, delayed erasure experiments and the physicists say, oh, look, the information, somehow it's moved backwards in time. Well, that looks that way, but it's not that way at all. Nothing moved backwards in time. It's just the appearance. If you believe in materialism, then it looks like it had to move backwards in time. But if you don't believe in materialism, there's another answer that uh, doesn't move backwards in time that makes a whole lot more sense. So time is fundamental for us in this reality, but it's not our time is in everybody's time. Okay, well, where are all these various times come from? Well, the larger consciousness system itself has the highest frequency clock. Okay, It's got the fastest time. In other words, it's got the smallest time increments. Time is digital. By that, I mean time comes in increments. It's a delta T each time. Time is not uh, continuous. It comes in little chunks. And the, the larger consciousness system has the smallest of those little chunks of time. All the other clocks are basically based on that. So you can have a clock that runs slower by saying, every 100 ticks on the LCS's clock, I'm going to make one tick on this virtual reality clock. 
So now that virtual reality is running 100 times slower than the larger consciousness system. You say you have that sort of thing. So that's how you have different clocks. So every virtual reality that's independent has its own clock, its own time loop that processes how things happen, the order of things. Otherwise, growth is not possible. Change is not possible. Thought is not possible because there was the time that you had that thought and then there was the time before you had that thought and then there's the time after you had that thought. Without time, nothing is possible. Nothing moves, nothing changes, nothing happens, nothing is. You see, there's no dynamics without time. So our time is a, in our simulation, is local to us in this reality frame. It's different than the time ticking in some other reality frame. But time is fundamental to all reality frames, not necessarily not on all the same clock. Okay, so that's the way time is. It's a, you can't have, you can't really have a consciousness that evolves without time. Now, what happened when Jane was uh, channeling Seth was that Seth, I think, was trying, this is just my opinion, Seth was trying to explain to Jane in his thoughts that because we have the past database and we have the future databases, all of our experience, all the past lives and all of the things that are potentially could happen in the future, they all exist in these databases and they all exist there at the same time. So you, living in the present, can go up and look at future probabilities. You can go back and look at past uh, occurrences because we have the past and the present and the future all available to you in your mind all simultaneously. Okay, that's what he was saying. The data is out there that you can get. And Jane misinterpreted that as everything is happening simultaneously. You know, there is no time. That's my opinion of of, uh, what went wrong. And since Jane interpreted that, there are millions of people that have this idea that there is no time and time can't exist and all those things work together, and then the next breath they'll say, yeah, that's not really very understandable. I don't know exactly how that works, but, you know, that's the way it is. There is no time, and that's kind of almost an in thing to say. I've heard that a lot, but it just doesn't make any sense, and that's not the way it works. You can't have what we have. You can't have consciousness. You can't have choice without time. It's before you made the choice, after you made the choice. There's consequences to choice. That's the whole point. And that requires time. So time is very fundamental. Now, space is not fundamental at all. Space is purely a product of the rule set. Space is, you define a point as an origin. You then define, you know, three uh, orthogonal basis vectors, and you got space. That defines space. It's just mathematical. Space is a mathematical construct. It's geometry. Um... There's nothing fundamental about it. Time is more than just our delta T that clicks on our virtual reality. That's just our time. Time is a more fundamental thing than just that. So that's the difference. 
Yes, time is fundamental. I think Jane just misunderstood. I could see where she'd misunderstand. It sounds like they're all simultaneous when you're talking about all the various databases, the future and the past and the present. We're all here, all together. We can access it all at the same time, but that's not what he meant. Time is fundamental. He was talking about the data is here and available to us uh, simultaneously. And that is a fact. Right. Well, that's, that's, that's good to get clarification on that. Um, moving on, Greg, I know you have another question you want to ask before you've got to get out of here. So uh, it's all yours. Yeah, and this, this question actually came up uh, from a discussion between Pally and I. So, uh, Pally, if you have anything to contribute, please do. Uh, we were actually we were talking about dreams, and uh, we were having some sort of uh, some of the dreams we were having seemed very much as if they were uh, tests or lessons, which you know we found educational. But then some other dreams just don't seem like that. And there's for me, there's certain characteristics that sometimes they will and sometimes they won't. And uh, so I was I was talking to Polly about this, and um, he was saying how he, he was reminding me that you know sometimes wanting to know too much, which ones are and which ones aren't, is just you know the ego curiosity, and that it doesn't matter. But I see there's kind of like a uh, there's a line there that I'm not sure where the line is, which is you know sometimes you want to know more detail about something like a process like that, like oh well what's what's giving it to me? Which ones are the ones it's giving to me? Which ones are not? And sometimes it's the ego, and sometimes maybe it could be helpful for me to to know how the process works. And uh, so for you, obviously, um, with a lot of things eventually you got to the point where you learned a lot more about how things work and it wasn't just for your ego. It actually served a purpose for you knowing all these, all these uh, more details. So uh, how do you, I guess the question is how does one kind of navigate that space in wanting to be curious, but wanting to not let their ego grab onto just, uh, you know, wanting too much too fast. Well, it depends on why you want, what's your intent. If your intent is that you want to know so that you can decide whether you should take that dream more seriously or less seriously, you want to know so that you can assess whether you're being worked with or whether you're, you're not, whether you're just making it up. If you want to get a kind of report card on uh, you know, how much the system is going out of its way to help you with individual lessons or so on, then... Pally is absolutely right. You really don't need to know. That's all your ego wanting an assessment to find out whether or not, you know, you should get two gold stars or one gold star or five gold stars. And, and that's really not important, you see. So he's right on that. If your intent is such that you would just like to understand how the system works and, and uh, you know, what, you know, why, why the dreams and why do we get some some way and some the other and if it's more of that, not in that you're you're looking for uh, you know how many gold stars you you deserve, but because you would like to know the mechanics of it, then that's a different intent, and that's okay, and that doesn't have to come from ego. But where is that going to take you? If that if that knowledge takes you someplace, if that gives you some some uh, advantage in developing your love then that's good knowledge and you need to have it. If it doesn't, then what good is it? 
Well, it'll help you explain it to somebody else, but then what is good to them either? You see, so I guess it depends on, on what it is you want to do with it and your intent as to whether it's useful or not. And it may be very useful to you because you may have a kind of mind. Let's say uh, you and, and uh, Polly are both very left brain and you tend to analyze and, and think about things. So understanding mechanisms and how they work makes you feel better. You feel more relaxed. You can feel easier with something if you kind of understand it. And it just irritates you fundamentally to have things going on that you don't understand because you want to understand everything. Well, in that sense, the understanding may help you relax, may help you let go, may help you deal with things better. And the not understanding it is getting in your way. Well, then even if it is ego, because it's getting in your way, it would be a good thing to understand it just so you didn't have that getting in your way anymore. You know, so there's there's some advantage to that, too. So there's no wrong or right answer exactly when it's a good thing or a bad thing, you know, to pursue these sorts of things. It just depends on you and your in, and, and where you are and what you need and what your intent is. For the most part, understanding the the, the structure isn't that important to growing up. On the other hand, it does help make sense out of things. Now, the, the answer to your question is, or the, the kind of the bigger answer is that as consciousness, you can receive data and you can produce data. You can transmit, you can, you can create information, and you can receive information. That's what consciousness does. It does both of those. Now, you get a data stream. You don't create that data stream. That data stream, say, defines this physical reality. That would be our PMR data stream. Or you get a data stream in a dream, and you've got that data stream. It's not your creation. But you can use your imagination, we'll call that. You can use your consciousness to create data at the same time. So you can be in this physical reality, and you can imagine that you see this or hear that or other things. And we're pretty good at that. You know, if somebody tells you, uh, if you're not, um, well, take us for an example. If you're all in a, in a room together or sitting down at the cafeteria and somebody tells you, you know, they had a gas leak in here the other day and they never could find it. Even though that's a complete lie, that never happened, about 80% of the people will begin to smell gas. They go, yeah, I can smell that, you see, because they create that information because they have an expectation. So you can create data, and there's no way of separating the data that you create from the data that comes from outside of you. It's just all data that you deal with, whether you're creating it or whether it's coming outside. It's not tagged differently. This is inside data. This is outside data. It's all just data. So you get that data of smelling that uh, propane or whatever the gas leak was supposed to be. You get that data. And it's exactly like if you were smelling propane. Just ha- propane. There just happens not to be any propane there, but you smell it anyway. You see, you got that data. So it's you get a mixture of that. In your dreams, sometimes you're getting this data stream because it puts you in a test. It puts you in a, a choice situation to make choices that are at your learning threshold. You're just learning this thing. So you're going to get a lot of choices. Let's say you're learning to deal with frustration, to just back off and accept things, deal gracefully, that kind of frustration. Well, you may get a lot of dreams that just 
nothing seems to work out. You're in this dream and you have this thing you have to do. And every time you try to do it, something gets in your way and it can't happen and it doesn't get done. Well, these frustration dreams are just getting, are giving you an opportunity to deal with them gracefully rather than to get wound up and upset about them. So that's a, you can call it a test or you can call it a lesson, whatever. And that's given to you. So that's an outside data stream or you may be making things up because in your own mind, you have this stress about, you know, whatever. And that stress then will come out or relationship issues or other kinds of things. And those things will come out into some kind of a dream scenario. Now you're creating that data and you'll get a mixture of those. You may get a mixture of a lesson. And in that lesson, you'll throw in some of your own interpretation or data into that lesson. See? You'll mix them. So in the lesson, there's these people that uh, are constantly frustrating you, but you turn it into those people are your relatives or are your coworkers or something else. That's the part you add to it. Or maybe the system puts your coworkers in there just because you were having dealing problems. With them. So you don't know. And you never know for sure exactly where anything's coming from because you just get the data and you can't tell the source. That's why Polly's right when he says it really doesn't matter. You just deal with it. It is. It's data that you get. Deal with it. What can you learn from it? From whatever the source is. You see, then it becomes a question not of is it outside data or inside data, but what can I get out of it? What do I learn from it in either case? Because it may be a mixture of both. They're not always just one or the other. Sometimes it's all mixed mixed together. You get some of everything in there. And what can you learn from it? Best I can tell you about learning the difference is with practice, you'll be able to differentiate better. The more and more you pay attention to it and deal with it, the more and more you'll be able to tell inside data from outside data. But you'll never know for sure. That's why you always have to be skeptical. You see? So when you go... And you go to the to the uh, future probability database and you say, well, I'm looking, you know, I want to see what's going to happen in 10 years. And what you see is, you know, the an invasion of two-headed, you know, monsters from the, you know, from the under the surface of Mars or something. Well, don't go digging a hole, you know, for you and your family to hide in just yet. You know, you don't know where that data came from. That data could have been data out of the database. It could have been a joke that somebody's playing and you know, put that data in just to see what you do with it. Would it cause fear? You know, would it uh, make you upset? You know, what would you do with it? Um, it may have been something out of a, a movie you saw, you know, three weeks earlier that you kind of put together in your own mind that was that is mimicking uh, maybe some stress or other issues like that that you that you have. You don't know. So you always have to have skepticism about what you get. It's a mistake to get some data from a database or from some entity in the non-physical and then take that as this is the truth. It has to be the truth because I got it from, you know, Joe, my guide. Well, it may or may not be the truth. You always have to make your own decisions based on your own understanding and you can't let anybody else's, you know, you can't, sacrifice your free will for others. You can't let other people make decisions for you. So that's the thing. That's why you always have to be skeptical. 
So all of the information that I've gotten and all the things that I've seen and all the time I've spent in non-physical, you know, I get some sense of what's outside and what's inside, but I don't, there's no way to know for sure in any particular case because the data isn't tagged. It's just data. So that's why it really doesn't matter so much where the data comes from or what its source is. What matters is what you can do with it because you can't really distinguish where it comes from. If I may... I say that, that that definitely helps because uh, what you said there, because um, the specific purpose for me wanting to know where some of these dreams came from was because I was having, I've just been having lots of dreams and I was kind of thinking if I knew which ones were being given to me on purpose for sure, then it would be more productive to work on those maybe. But uh, in what you're you're saying, I kind of picked up on, it doesn't really matter because even if it's just coming from me, if it's, if it's my own you know, whatever frustration or whatever other type of fear that's causing dreams, that's still a productive thing to work on. Absolutely. It just doesn't matter. Is it useful is the question, not who said that. In this reality, we get a lot of information and we have learned to uh, vet that information to say, well, I believe this because so-and-so said it. And I don't believe this because that other person said it. And we will tend to believe things that are credible to us. And we blow off things that are not credible to us. And a lot of this has to do with the way we judge the credibility of the source from which we're hearing it. Well, we have to do that because we get tons of information from all sorts of sources and we will never be able to take the time to research every bit of it to see, you know, how true this is and how false that is. You get it. So you judge it based on your sense of the credibility of the source. So when we, we take that, that attitude into the non-physical with us. And we want to know, well, who was that that said that? And what are your credentials? You know, <laughs> did you, what, you know, what degrees do you have? You know, should I listen to you or not? And it's just not useful. It's useful here, but it's not useful there. There you never will know. What It's just data. You don't ever get to see the source of the data. All you'll get is data and then you do the interpretation. And since you'll never get to know the source of the data and you know, there can be multiple sources of that data. It can be the larger conscious system. It can be some other entity in that system. It can be yourself. And since you can't separate those skepticism is always required and trying to say whether I should pay attention to it because it's coming from a credible source is futile. You can't do that. You'll never be able to figure out what what source is for sure. There's always going to be some doubt, some uncertainty. So the best thing to do is just say, I'll deal with all of it the same way. I'll take it all seriously, and I'll see what rings true to me. I'll see what I can get out of it. And if I can't get anything out of it, I'll toss it out. If I can, I'll use it. But where it comes from doesn't matter. Thanks, Tom. And thanks, thanks, Polly, for uh, bringing that up. Uh, that was a good, you uh, you know, kind of calling me out a little bit, making sure I, I uh, reminded me of that point. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, uh, we we are helping each other out, Greg, because uh, I also realized uh, one thing that I want to mention here also that uh, Tom, with your example of uh, well, leaking the postcards uh, all the evening and then mm-hmm. having a dream about it. 
I think that too can be a lesson about, uh, okay, I didn't set my intention to have lessons this evening. That is a lesson to me that I wasn't really paying attention and I can improve on that, right? So that in itself, it is, it is a lesson. Mm -hmm. Also, it's a lesson in letting go. When you've yeah. done those kinds of things, you know, don't let it, don't let it wad you up in, into that mode. Don't get obsessed with it. You need to be able to just let it go. Okay, I'm done licking envelopes now. It's over with. Let it go, and it's gone. Then you won't have any dreams about it. You only have dreams about it because you're, you're still in a, in a, in a loop, stuck. Yeah, exactly. And uh, you, you, you said something uh, earlier uh, regarding this question of uh, Greg's uh, that, uh, well, sometimes the system uh, will give us what we want just because we are so wound up about it. And I think uh, that is maybe a, well, opportunity for somebody to understand it as, uh, well, maybe I can extort a system by running up about one thing <laughs> and then, uh, well, go going into the wrong direction. And uh, hopefully then the system will give, give me what I want. <laughs> so I don't know. <laughs> no, you have to understand the system cannot be gamed. You can't trick the system because... The system knows the truth. It knows what you want and what you think you want and any games that you're playing or any other um, um, you know, issues that are involved, it knows the whole thing. So you can't say, well, I'll do this or the system will do that. Or the system will just turn around and hit you right between the eyes with a two before to let you know that, you know, that this game playing is not going to work. Those kinds of things will probably backfire because it, uh, th there's no way to hustle the system. You're too transparent to do that. Your consciousness, your information in the system has access to all that information. So it's, there's no, no way that you can uh, pull one over on the, on the LCS. Right, Tom, next question. Taron P says, Hi, Tom. I'd be very grateful if you could answer this question for me. Usually, a good theory not only explains the existing phenomena or questions, but also predicts new ones, previously unknown things. For example, the early atomic models predicted new elements which were later found, and in particle physics, new predictions are made, and those new particles are then hunted down. So I'm curious, what new things unknown to the present can be predicted by MBT. Okay, there's a couple of uh, uh, points there to be made. One is that MBT is about consciousness. Consciousness is about awareness. It's about our, our awareness of our reality, whether it's dreaming or physical reality or whatever. Okay, so it's, it's things about awareness. Is, is consciousness. So when you really understand consciousness, when you have a model that understands consciousness, then that allows you to predict things like feelings and attitudes and, uh, you know, awareness things. Well, when we look at the humanity, what, what sort of an awareness is new? What sort of an awareness of consciousness here in this physical reality has never happened before. There's never been anybody in, in our history that's been aware of these things. You see, it's a little different. It's a little different kind of a game than if we 
you know, if we look at, a, at an atomic theory and say, okay, here's an atomic theory, it predicts new elements. Well, new elements are not in anybody's experience base. Okay. There are, these are things that nobody's thought of before. So it's easy. There's, there's lots of things like that, that are, that are new that you can, that you can point at that are, um, you know, not going to be known by anyone. So you're in, you're in totally new area. Well, when you're talking about consciousness, that's not the case. We can go back, you know, 2,500 years and find people that are saying many of the things that I, that I say, you know, we can, you can, uh, particularly in the, in the Eastern cultures, a lot of the things I say have been said a long time. There's all sorts of different people and groups and so on who have experienced the things that I've experienced and have talked about them. You know, these things aren't new. It's hard to come up with a new experience that nobody has ever experienced before. You see, that's a different kind of an animal than coming up with a with a uh, elements that uh, nobody knew existed before. So by the nature of consciousness, it's not going to be that way. You can say that with this theory, well, there's going to be experiences, perceptions, things that we can, you know, that nobody's ever perceived before. Not likely. But now there's lots of things that we don't understand, such as remote viewing, out of body, using the mind to heal, you know, all of those things are things that we don't understand very well. And what this theory does is it gives them rational explanations. Here's how they work. This is the mechanism. This is why they work. This is why they're limited. This is why they don't work very well in these circumstances and work better in those circumstances. Why they work sometimes and not all the times. You see, you can understand all of that. Now, that's new. And I would say that uh, that understanding. Is a brand new thing, but it's not a brand new experience. People have used their mind to heal. They've remote viewed. They've done all this stuff for many thousands of years. So it's not going to come up with a new human experience. Isn't going to happen. That's not the point. But coming up with new understandings of human experience is the point. And that's what uh, MBT has done. So that's the thing. Like right now with my experiments that I'm doing, it'll be a whole new way of understanding quantum mechanics. It'll be understanding quantum mechanics from the basis of virtual reality, taking the, the, the concept of virtual reality and the, um, can we say, the mechanics of virtual reality, and then taking those mechanics and applying them to physics, looking at, at quantum mechanics, looking at physics from a whole different perspective. That's new but it's it's uh, you know it's it's new ideas new ways of seeing things new understandings that's what mbt brings to the front not new experiences of people um now there's a lot of people who've never had a controlled out of body that they've done an out of body because they intended to there's a lot more of them who've had out of bodies that um just were spontaneous but uh, there's not a lot of people who do out-of-bodies on demand. There's probably tens of thousands of them, but, I mean, that's not a lot as far as the whole population goes. And once that's understood, then a lot more will be able to have those experiences because they'll understand how to, you know, that they have to grow up first, that, you know, they have to get the intellect out of the way, and they'll understand a lot more about it. So that will be new things that some people will experience. But it's not a new experience to people. People have been doing that 
for you know many millennia. So there's nothing there at all that MBT is going to have that's new in the human experience, but there's lots of things that are new as far as explaining the experience that we have. That's that's where MBT uh, comes about, explaining you know, double slit experiments and how they work, explaining uh, how it is that the placebo effect works. We know it works. Why? What's the mechanism? How is it that the mind controls the health of the body? What's the connection between mind-body? How is it that um, the idea of, um, um, you know, intent moves future probability? You know, how does that play out? What are the, all the things that you can now understand once you realize that principle? that before you couldn't, uh, you couldn't connect the dots. That's where MBT provides new, new insights, not new, new facts so much as, as, well, maybe I guess some of them are the ways of looking might be new facts, but not new experiences, but new insights into experiences that we've had for millennia. Thanks for that, Tom. Um, listen, I know normally we'd be wiping it up around now, but we've still got a bunch of questions that I want to ask, and Oliver has very kindly said that we can go over by about another 25, 30 minutes. So I'm going to get straight on with the next question from Joe on uh, different subjects, really. He says, uh, are love and fear fundamental at the being level, or are they simply part of the rule set in this PMR? What about those afflicted by the urbach vita disease or psychopathy? Psychopathy. Psychopathy. Which one is that? Um, is it psychopathy or psychopathy? Okay. <laughs> Sorry. If you surgically remove the uh, amygdala from, in one's brains, will he or she be free of fear? Let's just ask that bit first, Tom, then we'll go into the second part of the question. Okay. The relationship, well, there was a bunch of questions there. Um, yeah. The first one is, what about fear? You know, is it is it fundamental to consciousness? Is it uh, something we just get when we're here? Uh, that sort of thing. You have fear at the being level. That fear is a part of you, so it is at your core. If you have fear at the being level, then it's just the way you are, and our job here is to overcome it and to get rid of it so that we have love there instead. So that's the point. So you may come here with a certain quality, and that quality that you have will mean let's say that quality that you come in with is not all that high, then you have a high proclivity toward developing fears, which will then manifest as particular fears once you get here, whether it's fear of not being loved or fear of spiders or whatever. Those fears are then interpreted and manifested after you're here based on what you run into. But the propensity to have that fear is part of the quality that you come in with. So that's... Yeah, so yes, fear is high entropy in consciousness, just like we say love is low entropy in consciousness. So if you have a, a consciousness that's high entropy, then that's a, a fear, and that fear then will manifest in particular ways once you have an avatar interacting in this virtual reality. Okay, so that's the first part of that question. Um, and the last part... It was kind. Of, it was a, a connection of how does the you know the, the the physical and how does the brain? If you cut out the uh, amygdala, amygdala, right? Is that pronounced um, correctly? Uh, I'm not sure. I think it might be amygdala, but amygdala. You're probably right. Amygdala. Yeah. I think it's amygdala. Anyway, if you uh, 
I guess we're both far away from our biology courses, right? That's about 40 years ago. But anyway, you know, if you cut that out, would they be fearless? Well, perhaps so. You see, this is kind of the connection between the body and the consciousness. The body is basically a, a virtual body that depends on a rule set. And the rule set says how things relate to each other, you know, and how the, how the, the physical stuff works. So it says that you have a brain and, and the brain has certain functions. And if you disturb those functions, so if you go in and cut a chunk of the brain out, now the brain can't do that function anymore, at least for a while. It tends to rewire itself. But uh, immediately after you lose that part of the brain, then you have uh, dysfunction there in the sense that no longer can the rule set support the consciousness having that experience. Okay? So if the rule set, if a baby's born with only uh, one arm and one leg, then the consciousness is not going to have the experience of you know, running track, you know, it's not going to, not going to be a, uh, you know, a, a gymnast, you know, or whatever you might say, that's kind of not in their ability because the rule set doesn't support it. They don't have two arms, two legs. Being a gymnast would be really difficult or being a good gymnast would be really difficult. Balance would really be difficult. So you now have a different set of constraints on what that consciousness can experience. Well, you go in and cut out that part of the brain where fear is dominant, then you would suddenly say that that consciousness now is not going to have these kinds of experiences because you've removed the rule set that allows them to have that. They can only experience what the rule set says they can experience. The consciousness is not going to experience a man jumping 20 feet into the air because the rule set doesn't support it. Well, if the part, if the amygdala is cut out of the brain, then the rule set doesn't support that consciousness experiencing certain kinds of experiences. So it's a, it's that kind of a thing. So it, yes, it's just a virtual brain. It's a virtual amygdala, but it is the constraint of the rule set. Consciousness has to abide by the constraints of the rule set. All right. So that's that's that connection. Now the the amygdala may not be everything that allows a conscious to have fear. There may be other parts of the brain that could kind of take over some of that function, but certainly it would disturb their, their, their sense of fear would be changed rather dramatically. I don't know that it would be eradicated entirely because the brain isn't that black and white that this piece just does this and none of the rest of the brain has anything to do with that. That piece dominates in fear, but, there may be other things that the per, that a conscious could interpret as fear coming from other other things other than the uh, other than that part of the brain, the amygdala. So yes and no about the surgery. It would affect the fear. There'd be a lot of fears maybe that they did have that would go away. Probably um, uh, fears of spiders and snakes or floods or bridges or whatever people are afraid of. Those kinds of things would probably go away. But other sorts of fears may not, like the fear of not being loved, or those kinds of fears would probably stay because they may not, they be processed other places. So did I, I've, did the first part and the second part, I don't know if there's any of that that I missed, but is there more? 
Well, there was the Urbach Vita disease or psychopathy, but I think that's that's covered by the the same thing. So I think I think that's yeah. a good time. Yeah, if if a yeah, if something, if a disease changes the constraints according to the rule set that the consciousness has to abide by those constraints. See, the consciousness can't experience anything that the rule set doesn't support. You know, when you're playing World of Warcraft, the consciousness is not going to experience anything in World of Warcraft that the World of Warcraft rule set doesn't support. You can only experience what the rule set supports. So if you have a disease that affects your body, whether it means you lose use of your legs or whether you lose use of a part of your brain, then that changes the constraints. And if you change the constraints, then the consciousness has to be limited by those constraints. Now, things like the brain can reassert themselves. You know, that brain's pretty clever about rewiring and having other parts of the brain take on a function of the part of the brain that's missing and so on. So there's there's some plasticity there that you don't have if you've just lost your legs. You know, you, it's not like you're going to grow another set of legs, but you can maybe, uh, uh, you know, regain function with the brain. So, yeah, diseases, accidents, birth defects, you know, all kinds of things changes the constraints that the consciousness can experience. Even situations can train. You get thrown in jail, and now your your consciousness is not going to experience going home at Christmas with the family because you're in prison. They don't let you go home to your family at Christmas time, you see. So that's now not in the experience possibilities for that consciousness. So there's all kinds of things that put constraints on what a consciousness can experience, even situational things besides, you know, rule set things. All right. Thanks, Tom. Um, Joe goes on to say that, uh, you know, you suggest growing up and becoming love as our goal for being here. Now, is this really our objective or something suggested just for the sake of the greater good? Why should we care about the fate of the larger consciousness system and beyond and not just let it return to nothing? <laughs> well, we are a part of that larger consciousness system. Why should we care? Because it's us and we're it. You know, if it returns to nothing, so, so do we. You know, if it doesn't uh, survive, then there is no virtual reality. There are no individuated units of consciousness. There are no uh, free will awareness units. There is no universe. You know, it all just goes away. So it's not like we're independent. So why should we give a damn about that thing? You know, that's kind of funny. That's almost like, why should we give a damn about our heart or our liver, right? I mean, why should we care, stupid heart? You know, we don't care. It can just die, and why would we care? You know, it's that sort of thing. Well, of course you would care. It's, uh, you know, it's it's us. It's what, it's what we are. And the reason that we have that as a, as a uh, goal is, is that we have a choice. We can evolve or we can de-evolve. We can, we can evolve and we can, or we can die. And um, the choice there among conscious things that have an awareness is that they'd rather evolve than die. Besides, uh, as he points out, evolving is a much nicer place to experience in when you have low entropy space to experience in, then that's a much more pleasant so it makes everything better for everybody, but more than that, it actually keeps the system going of which we are a part. 
Yeah, I guess now it's my turn, Keith. If, if I'm, I have uh, well, basically one question which you I think already un uh, answered for me uh, today. Uh, you helped me understand uh, how to work on fears, basically. And uh, there was one more aspect which I stumbled onto in my uh, well experience here, namely I I understood that I'm not too well connected with my emotions so I focused on that uh, for the past maybe two years uh, quite a lot and uh, with that I try to um, focus on the sense of uh, what is the right choice what I what do I really want uh, at the moment and uh, I understand well I noticed that at some point uh, somehow I started to relinquish my own decisions uh, towards uh, that feeling that I expected to come in terms of uh, should I meditate now or should I go out and uh, I don't know go on a bike or something like that and um, I, I wanted first your opinion and now I just want to check whether I understood the lessons from you today namely I should maybe at, at, at these occasions uh, focus on uh, uh, the bigger picture, uh, I don't know uh, what is the right uh, choice here, but uh, I want to do choices out of my being level because that really makes sense. That is the place where I learn and basically not get hung on uh, the right decision, not uh, to wait on uh, any impulse, uh, be it uh, from any source. Would that be uh, also your view? Yes, that's that's good. Um, don't let your intellect run your life entirely. Your intellect is a good uh, thing for pointing directions. We need to we need to move more this way than that way. We need to consider these things. We need to look at that. It's good for that sort of thing. But as far as accomplishing those things, as far as growing up goes, anyway, all that has to happen at the being level. So if you get, people get wound up in their intellects, like, should I ride my bike or meditate, right? And then they think about it, but of course they can't answer it because that's not an, that's not a question that has a, um, a logical, um, answer because they're all intertwined. Well, you know, the bicycle is better for my health that I get fresh air and I get exercise and that would be good for me and my mind and my consciousness would benefit from that. And oh, well, meditation would be good because then my body and, and every, my health and all that would benefit from that. So they're all intertwined. And which one's more important than the other? Well, the point is none are more important than the other. They're all part of living. They're all part of doing things and feeling like I have to optimize my life. So I have to know which one is the right one to do. That's you trying to control everything. You see? You want to control everything so you get the right answer. I want to get the right answer. So to get the right answer, I have to control all the variables. I have to know, should I bike ride or should I meditate? And there, there's, there is a, re a right answer to that, but I just don't know what it is. There is no right answer to that, you see. And you drive yourself nuts trying to work on those details. You have to live your life as an experimentalist. Just go ride the bike. Just go meditate, whatever. And you might say, well, I'll just ride bikes then because that's more fun than meditating. So, okay, just ride the bike and just ride the bike until the point where you feel like I'm kind of feeling unbalanced now. You know, I need to spend some quiet time with myself. Well, then you'll meditate. 
You see, so you do whatever your intuition tells you to do, but you also have to be aware that there are no hard and fast answers. Sometimes it's time to meditate. Sometimes it's time to ride the bike. And whichever one your intuition picks on, that's fine. Go do it. And if the other one gets excluded to the point that it's a problem, you'll find that out too because your intuition will tell you, all right, enough bike riding. You've got these problems you've been dealing with and you've been hiding from them. You've been, you know, kind of sneaking around these problems, not working with them. You need to get in touch with yourself and deal with these things. So let the bike go today and meditate. So you see, it's not like that there's this one is better than the other and we make a judgment. Just do whatever your intuition tells you. And if one of them is getting underdone that needs to be done, you'll get that message. You'll have an you'll have the feeling that you need to go do that. You see? So let it just work itself out naturally. Let let your intuition, let your body and your consciousness just be and do what they do and let be an experimentalist. When it's not working for you anymore, then change it. If it is working for you, let it go. And you know if it's working for you, are you happy? Are you satisfied? Is everything going great in your life? It's working for you. If not, well, what are we going to change? Well, maybe I should stop riding the bike so much and every other day I ought to meditate because I'm getting all wadded up in my mind and I'm confused about things. And okay, riding the bike helps me forget about them, but it doesn't help me solve them. See, so now you'll get that sense that, well, I should start doing more meditation, maybe less bike riding. And then you might meditate and meditate and meditate all the time to where you're not really making much progress because you're pushing too hard. You're like pushing on a string. You can't get any any traction there. Well, go ride the bike. You see, that would be better. So just do and be and be aware of how it's working. How's it feeling? What your needs are. And then what you'll find is instead of having plans to do things for logical reasons, you just do things because they seem right. And when they don't seem right anymore, you'll do something else. And pretty soon, you'll get so in tune with yourself and what your needs are that there won't be any question anymore. You'll know exactly when you need to meditate and exactly when you need to go ride the bike. And it won't be because you've planned it or it's time or this is the schedule. This is the day I do that. It's just because you'll know that's where you need to go next because you'll be in tune with yourself. So that's the that's the process. Just be an experimentalist. Do what feels right to you until it doesn't feel right anymore. And if it feels right to do both, well, then ride the bike on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays and meditate on Tuesdays, Thursdays, and Saturdays if the two are incompatible, if you only have a choice to do one or the other, and see what happens. And over time, you may ride more and meditate less, or you may meditate more or ride less, or those two things may come and go. There may be weeks when you just really get into the exercise and other weeks where you really get into the meditation because that's where you are and that's what your needs are now. See? So there is no right answer. That answer changes from time to time and day to day. Just be and do. Be aware of the consequences. And if it feels, if it's working for you, then it's good. Don't second guess it. Well, I'm feeling pretty good, but could I feel better? Might I have done it some other way? So you're just tripping all over yourself trying to to 
force a solution, the optimal solution. And there is no optimal solution. It changes day to day, week to week, year to year. The optimal solution is different all the time because you're different and you're growing. So let it stop trying to push on that string. You see, you're not getting anywhere pushing on a string. It doesn't, it doesn't work. It's not helpful. You just get all wadded up and then you don't know what to do. And now you feel bad that you seem to be so incompetent that you can't even figure out whether you should meditate or ride a bike. How can I make big decisions when I can't even decide little trivial things like that? And then you start having worries about that. And pretty soon you're just a bag of worries and insecurity and everything else because you're no longer in control of your life. And ah, what am I going to do? And you can just end up a basket case just because you're overthinking the problem. It's better just be and then be an experiment to see how that works. Don't worry about it. You don't have to optimize every minute of the day. It'll self-optimize on its own if you just let it. As long as you try to force and control that optimization, you'll never find it. If you let it optimize on its own, then you will find that optimum point. And that optimum point will be different all the time. Thank you, Tom. Great. Okay, I think we have time for one more question, Tom. I'm going to get in quickly. We started with a question that touched on one conspiracy theory, so let's finish with another. (laughs) Uh, Question from Gary M., the one and only Minnesotan, relating to a very popular YouTube video uh, that's been on the news recently about a recent fairly convincing UFO sighting. Uh, Gary writes, I understand Tom's point that it would be easy for the LCS to add points of light to a data stream or even manifest virtual close encounters for specific individuals as part of their learning process. But doesn't the fact that a UFO has been photographed by an inanimate camera constitute a measurement that now solidifies it as part of our PMR, similar to a particle in the double slit experiment? Although I might feel differently if I'd been abducted, I'm not really fearful of an alien invasion at all. If advanced extraterrestrial free will awareness units have indeed journeyed to this virtual planet from elsewhere in our PMR, I would assume that they'd possess their technology to dispense us in a New York minute. Again, I'm not sure if my ongoing fascination with the possibility that we are being visited or perhaps even manipulated by anonymous non-human intelligences is just another example of my stupid old ego striving to be that Mr. Smarty Pants again. So how does one determine where to draw the line between productive and non-productive entropy-reducing activities? Okay, that's the same, uh, the same answer that we had earlier. Right. And that is, it doesn't really matter, does it? You need to... Work on what helps you grow up, what helps you become love, what helps you get rid of your fear. And if you, if you find a way that, uh, you know, aliens help you get rid of your fear, then you should maybe spend more attention to aliens. If they increase your fear, then you should spend less time with aliens. And it doesn't really matter whether they're aliens or not. You deal with what you deal with and your reality, and you try to grow up from it. So this idea of, uh, well, the idea that if you take a picture of them with a, with a camera, then that's evidence. Evidence is, only, evidence is only evidence if it's credible evidence. That's evidence to the person who owned the camera. It's evidence to the other people who were standing by when they took the picture or who saw the same thing. But as soon as it leaves that small group of people who were the First hand, not second and third hand, not people who read about it, but the people who experienced it, it's real. 
and they don't need it on a camera. It was real for them, but let's say they caught it on a camera. For everybody else in the world, you can put anything in a picture. Photoshop can make any flying saucer do anything you want it to do anytime you want it to do it. You can have little green men or pink men with purple spots. You can do anything you want. So a picture that says, oh, I took this picture. Look, there's a flying saucer landed in my yard. And see the little green man that came coming out of it. I made this movie. And most of the world will look at it and say, yeah, nice. And then let's move on to something else. Nobody will get particularly excited because it's your experience, not theirs. And it will, the people who actually saw that saucer and saw those little green men and maybe talked to them, uh, for them, it's a life-changing experience. For everybody else, not so much. You see, so it doesn't really constitute anything that's particularly credible. It's not something repeatable. It's not something that's, you, oh, if you go out on your lawn and you do this, you know, a flying saucer will land and little green people come out and you can talk to them. Well, then everybody could go out and do that and see if it worked. Well, it's not like that. It's not repeatable. It's just a one-off that a few people saw. And everybody will say, wow, those people were probably on drugs. They were probably all, uh, you know, they were probably all high or they watched too many sci-fi movies or uh, they're just pulling a stunt trying to see if they can't con the rest of us. And they'll come up with all kinds of reasons why they shouldn't really get too excited about that. And you see, it really doesn't matter. It matters only to the people that had the actual experience. For them, it's a life-changing experience. Everybody else doesn't matter too much. So can you learn from that? Well, if it was your experience, there's something you're going to learn from that. You'll learn a lot. But if it's somebody else's experience, not so much you're going to learn from it. So it doesn't matter whether there are aliens and UFOs that come and go or whether they are not. And if you have a burning drive to find that out, yes, that's your ego. And that's, you know, you, you want to know for whatever your, you know, your reasons are, even if it's just curiosity, you know, it, there's no point in it. There's no way that that helps you evolve your quality. If there isn't, then it's pretty much useless information. It's, uh, yeah, it's neither here nor there. And it's not that it's an evil thing just to have curiosity and want to know things. It's just that it's mostly irrelevant. There's nothing bad about it. It's just there's nothing particularly good about it either. It doesn't help you. Then uh, it's just wasting your time. Instead of doing something that doesn't help you, you could be doing something that does help you. So that's all. It's not that it's a terrible thing to do. You know, curiosity is a good thing. It leads us to new discoveries. But curiosity can also just be a time waster. It can lead us to waste a lot of time uh, as well. So it's not there's anything wrong with curiosity. It's just that the curiosity can be uh, a time waster. It can be fatal. It can be uh, a lot of things. So if it's not useful, why bother with it? Right. Well, you know, I'm glad we actually finished with that question, Tom, because it really brought together uh, so many of the subjects that we actually talked about today in in one closing answer from you in many ways. So uh, we do now have to wrap it up here. Um, they have been great questions. Um, sorry to those we didn't get around to. We will do our best to get those answered for you next time around. Um, I'm Keith of MBT Events. You know that MBT Events is just Donna and myself uh, doing the best we can with what we have, and uh, we're going to continue to do it for as long as we can. Uh, thank you to everyone who has sent such positive feedback on my participation in the Fireside Chats. It is very much appreciated. Uh, Tom, thank you. Uh, wonderful as always.
Thank you, Keith. Appreciate it. Doing a good job. Thank you. And thanks, everyone, for joining yeah. us. And uh, Oliver, for staying late. We appreciate that as well. Yes, thanks, Oliver. And thanks, Justin, because, because of Justin, oh, yeah. all of this is going to end up on YouTube. Otherwise, without Justin, it would just be us and nobody else would ever hear about it. So uh, everybody who makes this thing a success, thanks a lot. And all of you who ask questions, all the people on the forum that ask questions. Yeah, it's the good questions bring out the good answers, even if the answers are sometimes too long. It, uh, that's not the fault of the question. <laughs> and, and don't give me words that I'm stumbling over like psychopathy. And amygdala. Okay. We do our best, don't we, Keith? We do. We make mistakes and we just continue on with a smile. We, have, we also have limited knowledge and limited resources. Unfortunately. Okay. Well, thanks to everybody else. I'm a over and out. <laughs>